name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He left that place and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds again gathered around him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Jesus was not always well received in Judea, and he decided to go east to the far side of the Jordan River. That is, he went to the boondocks, to Hicksville. Jesus always had a knack for doing the unusual, the unexpected. And so it was here in the rural highlands, far from Jerusalem, the center of the country, that the Pharisees managed to catch up with him. In those days, Pharisees were completely devoted to the study of God's word, God's law, particularly the books of Moses and all the divine laws that God had laid down for them and for the rest of the Israelites. They were phenomenal experts in Jewish law. And having successfully tracked down Jesus far from their normal stomping grounds in Judea and Jerusalem, they put him to the test to see if they could find any heresy that he had. Mark tells us, some Pharisees came and to test him they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, now there's a simple question. And each time I hear this question, it reminds me of my cousin, who was once a police officer in San Diego. Five years older than I was when I was 20, I and also all the members of my family had frequent encounters with him during his enforcement of traffic laws on his motorcycle. But imagine how upsetting and stressful it was to have a tough-looking policeman with Rod Steiger's silver reflective sunglasses and who is flashing his red light in your rearview mirror and blasting his siren. Well, it would have been funny, but it was actually pretty scary. Once a family member was pulled over, Cousin Cop would have a whole repertoire of traffic violations that he would accuse us of having committed. But the encounter always ended the same way. A payment of cash which he would use to hold over our heads as proof that we had broken the law by bribing an officer of the law. Now he knew the traffic laws in the same depth and detail as the Pharisees knew the laws of Moses. And like him, the Pharisees had the same underhanded intentions of trapping Jesus in their web of condemnation. Sadly for the Pharisees, they totally missed the mark with Jesus. Jesus was working a ministry of restoration. A thousand years had passed since David was king. And now the history of God's people had been sad and grim because of the invasions of Israel's land by Phoenicians, Egyptians, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, 
and finally the Romans. But at that time, God sent son Jesus into the first century society of Jews on a mission to restore the covenant that God had laid down with Moses at Mount Sinai. Sadly, at this time, the people of God had become peons and pawns in the hands of the Romans. The rich and dominating temple leaders at Jerusalem, along with lots of others who stole many people's properties for taxes and left them homeless and without income. It was a pretty sad state of affairs. We know from the very first words of Mark's gospel that Jesus was on a mission to alter and restore the course of the Jewish people along with the wider world of his time. So in chapter one, Mark tells us, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, he will prepare your way. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. And in addition, Jesus commands the evil spirits and they obey him. Jesus had brought the kingdom of God to the land of the Jews with a divine mindset to share God's love and compassion with all the people of God. Now the Pharisees knew that Jesus has been on a special mission because by the chapter that we're in today, chapter 10, a lot had happened. Jesus had cast out several demons, raised up a dead girl, healed countless people who were blind, crazy, or sick. He had fed groups of 4,000 and 5,000 people out in the middle of nowhere. And let's not overlook his walking on the water. So it is no wonder that everybody was listening to him and his reputation was growing. So when the Pharisees asked him about whether he believed that a man can divorce his wife, Jesus turns the table on them. He knows that in that day and age, women were part of a seriously vulnerable category because men held all the power. Women could be divorced for any reason. Their estates and businesses could be taken away, no recourse, no reparation. And finally, they could be shunned and set adrift to fend for themselves. So when Jesus says, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh, therefore what God has put together, let no one separate. Jesus has returned us to God's dealing with Adam and Eve in the garden. And even though Adam was created before Eve, God treated the man and the woman equally as people. They had equal obligations, equal merit. That's why Jesus was staking a claim that women were of the same value as men. And when they married, they shared one flesh. Jesus was working on restoring God's intention of equality for all people. He was promoting equality socially, physically, and spiritually. 
And after the Pharisees left this scene muttering to themselves, it is Jesus' own disciples that create the next brouhaha. Mark says, people were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. And the disciples were speaking sternly to them. Jesus knows that just as women were vulnerable because of their status in that day, so too were the children. In fact, children were being used and abused in so many ways, especially when they encountered debt and poverty. So Jesus shared his love with them and elevated their status. He said, it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This wonderful picture of Jesus with the children is a central icon in his restorative ministry. Jesus is on earth to change the world from the evil and nastiness that was rampant. He was very clear about God's central requirement that people learn to love and respect one another, no matter one's age, gender, physical state, lack of possessions, or economic status. Now, when we boil today's gospel down to its essence, we are left with some simple things. God loves us all. Jesus appeared on earth to instigate, promote, and share God's love with us. Imagine every person who is sitting in front of you or next to you or behind you is enriched with God's love. If you close your eyes now for just a few seconds and think about those who are sitting around you, you can see and feel God's love in all of them. We are all equal in receiving and having God's love. So since all of us are included in God's compassion, what are we to do? If we have God's love within us and around us, then we have plenty of love to share with all those in need, those in pain, those who have nothing, and those who are lost in sorrow. Jesus is the model. He is modeling God's reality for us. And so Jesus restores us to our operational goodness. And even before David, Hal David and Bert Bacharach came out with a 1965 hit, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. And before Hal and Bert came along, Jesus was sharing love, divine love. And not just for some, but for everyone. So not just for us, but for everyone. Jesus has done his restoration work. Now it is your turn, my turn, to share our love with all.
regardless of station, condition, and need. We pray. Dearest and most compassionate God, let us be blessed with the openness of serving those in need as we encounter them whoever they may be and wherever we may find them. Amen.